What's going on, everybody? This is Adrian, and welcome to episode 17 of the Lawson Podcast. Today, we are going to talk about politics. I know I said we wouldn't do that. <laughs> I said I didn't want to talk about politics anymore. But hey, I got some stuff to say, and I promise it's going to be productive, and it's not going to get down and dirty into like all the pettiness that happens in politics. So if that sounds like a good time, stick around. So if you've read the title of this episode, you already know what it's about. It's about why I cannot vote for Joe Biden. I, a while back, I made an episode called Why I Cannot Vote for Trump. And I have since changed my mind on that, actually. <laughs> uh, one thing you'll notice if you listen to this podcast for any long period of time, I will change my mind a lot. And that might be really annoying, but it should hopefully let you know that I'm thinking about these things constantly. And... I, it's not that I come to an opinion and then just put it away in a drawer and don't think about it ever again. Uh, I'm always thinking about these things and I'm always thinking about how I could be wrong about something. And uh, yeah, so um, if you know if that bothers you, then you you came to the wrong place. I'm sorry, <laughs> but um, you came to the right place if you want like honest consideration of issues and stuff like that. So so yeah. Um, just to get into what we're going to talk about, why I can't vote for Joe Biden. So I have like a lot of different problems with Joe Biden and they break down into a couple different categories. Um, like his policies are obviously something I have an issue with being more conservative and, uh, him as a person, I have some issues with as well, um, just because of some of his past and, some of his even present like personal characteristics um and we'll get into that more um but first i want to talk about his policies so some policies that i really have an issue with uh surround his policies on energy for example he has he has alexandria ocasio-cortez who wrote the green new deal which is a very unpopular um uh i guess it's it was meant to be a piece of legislation that would eventually get rid of fossil fuels but it also had a bunch of crazy stuff in it like um um for example there would be like restrictions on farms i think something like that they would uh there was some provisions on banning airplanes and crazy stuff there was some stuff about um universal basic income, which doesn't make any sense to me why that would be in a climate bill, but it had to do with uh, being able to pay people who were unwilling or unable to work. <laughs> so if you don't want to work, then AOC's got you covered. So this person is in charge of Joe Biden's um, climate change policy making. I guess, um, what would you call it? is uh basically she's in charge of making his policy on climate change and that's why he and Kamala Harris have proposed something very similar to the green new deal and it would cost i believe it, over the f next 4 years it would cost 2 trillion dollars which is half of the annual budget and um 
it also features a lot of ridiculous propositions like completely overturning our current electrical system. So instead of getting electricity from, you know, like a nuclear plant or whatever, whatever else, it would make it so that by, uh, I believe it's 2035, we would all be getting electricity from solar power, which means that electricity companies have to totally upend how they do electricity by 2035. And, um, you know, researchers have, have done all the calculations and all this, and they found that it would increase electricity bills for lower and middle income families. Uh, so that's just crazy. Also, to have the amount of land that you would need to have enough solar panels to power all of America, it would be insane. I believe it'd be like the size of Texas or something. And it'd have to be a huge, huge, huge chunk of land in each state. And I just don't know where they're going to get that land. Um, so there's that. There's that policy. He um, has a lot of crazy stuff to say about guns. And I know everyone's getting into guns right now. I'm getting into guns right now. And I'm. It, it's a lot of fun. And it's also very important for your safety. And a lot of people are realizing that now because of how crazy things are getting. There's riots, there's people getting shot and killed in the streets for supporting Trump. It's really, really crazy out there. Um, people's houses are being threatened to burn down just because they have an American flag outside that happened. So all this is going on, people are realizing, okay, maybe we should buy some guns. And that's why there's a national like gun shortage, there's an ammo shortage. For the life of me, I can't find 9mm ammo anywhere. So... Uh, it's pretty clear that a lot of people are buying guns and th- that might be why Democrats are kind of easing up on the gun gun control conversation right now because that's going to be very unpopular if even if like uh, your average person who votes Democrat by default and uh, maybe he decides he has to go out and get a gun because he's seen all the stuff going on in the news and then you hear Democrats say, we don't think you should have a gun. We don't think you uh, need a gun. <laughs> or we don't think it should be very easy for you to get a gun, then the average person's going to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's riots going on, going on like in my, in, in my city's downtown area. I'm pretty sure I need a gun. <laughs> so uh, Joe Biden on guns is, I want to, almost like the most radical I can imagine anybody being on guns right now. His proposal is that Gun manufacturers are held accountable when people commit crimes with their guns. So let's say somebody buys a gun from Smith & Wesson. They go out, shoot some innocent people. Smith & Wesson would have to be held accountable under Joe Biden's policies. And how exactly that works, I have no idea. Does Smith & Wesson go to jail? Does, uh, Does Smith & Wesson pay a fine? I don't understand how that works. And even thinking about it from like an ethics um, justice point of view, that doesn't make any sense that Smith & Wesson would have to pay for that or have to be responsible for that in any way. Um, There's no other industry where that's the case, you know. There's no, like, if I crash my car and get hurt or if I drive my car drunk and run somebody over, Toyota isn't going to get in trouble. 
I'm going to get in trouble because I'm the one that did the stupid thing. And that's how it should be. But with guns, for some reason, Biden wants to punish the gun manufacturers. And what that would do is basically make gun manufacturers just not incentivized to do business here because if they're, you know, a lot of gun crime happens and most of it's not mass shootings. Most of it is like inner city gun crimes. And if Smith and Wesson or whoever, Walther, whoever is going to be held responsible for every little crime that happens with a gun, then that's ridiculous. And that's going to disincentivize them from even, even doing business in America and they might leave and then good luck getting guns. You think it's hard now. Imagine when they all leave. <laughs> um, some other stuff that he's proposing, he's proposing an assault weapons ban, which is ridiculous. Also assault weapons are not anything crazy. They're, they're built a little bit different so that you have like, a, for example, an assault rifle will have like a shoulder, um, like a piece that leans up against your shoulder so that it's easier to shoot and there's not like the recoil of it doesn't, doesn't mess up your aim. Uh, and then I believe they shoot a little bit faster and farther or maybe a lot faster and farther, but they're still semi-automatic just like any other handgun. They are, you know, everything else is basically the same. There's not a whole lot of difference there. So to ban that would be crazy. He also wants a national ban on uh, high-capacity magazines, which I'm pretty sure is going to be unconstitutional if that's ever even done. Uh, California recently got in trouble for their high-capacity magazine ban. If you don't know, California has a ban on magazines higher than 10 uh, that hold more than 10 rounds. And the Supreme Court recently struck that down and said that is not constitutional. So now California kind of has to back off of that. Um, and so to implement something like that nationwide, which the Supreme Court has already deemed unconstitutional for California to do, seems pretty insane. And I don't see, I don't know why Joe Biden wouldn't change that on his campaign website after he found out that California got that struck down. Um, but it seems like he's still going to push on with it. I don't know. doesn't make any sense. And it's pretty stupid. And I don't think it would prevent any gun crime or mass shootings. Um, if you don't know, it's like if you preload a clip, even if you only have 10 rounds in a clip, it's pretty fast to drop the empty clip and put in, put in a new clip. It's very, very quick. And it's not. I don't think it's going to save a whole lot of lives to have that. I mean, just if you look at California, we are the ones that have had that ban and gun crime still pretty bad here. I don't think it went down after that, that high capacity magazine ban went into effect. So really stupid stuff about ammo and uh, guns and there's other stuff too. Um, and then also, if you look at healthcare um, on the Joe Biden's campaign website, he talks about healthcare. Uh, he talks about how he he wants to have a public option. He wants to expand the Affordable Care Act. And what he, what he proposed is a ban, or not a ban, sorry, a cap on how much you could be charged for public health care. So I, I believe it's 8% of your annual income. That's how much you can be charged for health care 
or maybe not annual income, but 8% of your income, I guess, monthly. Um, that's how much your public health care would cost. So that would be an alternative to private health care. And my issue there is that a system that has a cap on how much you can charge is not going to be a very well-run or high-quality system. Because if, let's say, you own a business and you can only charge people a certain percentage of their income for what you give them, then you have no incentive to to better the quality of your business or better the quality of your product by increasing spending because you can't afford to. You can only charge so much, and if you spend more than you charge, then you're going to lose money. And if you lose money, then you're not going to be able to afford maintaining the current quality of cost, and then quality is going to go down. So I see that being like a terrible, terrible idea for a healthcare system. And then also, it might drive up the prices of private healthcare as well, because you have people right now who maybe they say, hey, look, this can only charge me 8% of my income, then I'm going to go do this instead of the private. So then the demand for private insurance goes down, making their prices go up, and um, then you know, like they're going to be private insurance is going to cost more and public insurance is going to be low quality. So you're going to have either expensive insurance that's good or very cheap insurance that's really bad. And I don't think that does anybody any favors to have that kind of a system going on. But, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you disagree. Feel free to email me your counter arguments or whatever at lostincast at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you guys. Um, also, um, you know, that's like the majority of the policy issues I have with Joe Biden. What really, what it really, really comes down to is personal issues though. That's the most important for me anyways, because even if I did love all of Joe Biden's policy plans, I could have some issues with him as a person that make me not confident that he would be able to implement those plans or that he actually even cares about those plans and he's not just using them as some political tool, you know, looking for what's popular and um, just saying what's popular so that we elect him. So as a person, Joe Biden is a lot more concerning to me than his actual policies. And I can get into why. So for one, he's not all there. I, I hate to say it because everybody's saying it right now and everybody knows it. <laughs> and I don't want it to seem like I'm picking on the guy. Even a lot of Republicans that talk about Joe Biden and his mental uh, abilities or lack thereof, they they don't take a lot of joy in it. They're, they feel bad. They feel bad that he's being pushed out here as this candidate so that he has to like embarrass himself in front of the country, really. And then, um, you know, it's probably a lot to go through. But it's a real concern. You know, we want someone in position in in positions of power that knows what they're doing, knows where they are, knows uh, what they're talking about in the moment. If you if you compare the two, Joe Biden and Donald Trump, who do you want negotiating with, let's say, China? About trade deals or about um, intellectual property rights or 
um, even Muslim internment camps that China has right now, who do you want to be the one, you know, coming at China against these things and telling them that they need to stop doing what they're doing, stop human rights abuses, stop intellectual property theft, all these things. Um, who do you think is going to be a better negotiator and a better arguer in that position? I'm going to say that's going to be Donald Trump. It, I don't see Joe Biden. <laughs> if you look at Joe Biden's debate performances, he gets he got steamrolled by President Trump, and President Trump was out of line most of the time, so I agree there. But he got steamrolled by President Trump, and he, when he did have a chance to talk, he didn't say much that was coherent or even pertain to the to the question at hand. He kind of kept going back to this thing about voters, make sure you vote. <clears throat> so it's it's hard to see him in a position where he's able to stand up to China, negotiate with Xi Jinping, and really get in his face and tell him, look, these are the things you need to do, these are the things you need to stop doing. Uh I don't I don't see him being very good in that position of negotiating. Um and yeah, that's all I have to say about like his mental uh, health. That's my concern there is that he wouldn't be able to negotiate with other countries very effectively and they might just kind of steamroll over him. Uh, I don't know if you guys watched the Democratic primary or not primary, but the Democratic debates to determine who would be the candidate. He would go on these like he would be talking and talking and then his time would run out, and then he would say, wait, I'm not finished, I'm not finished talking, and then everyone would go quiet, and then he would say, oh, well, I'm out of time, so I guess I'm going to stop. <laughs> and it was so awkward to watch. But, so yeah, that's that's what really concerns me. Is he going to be able to negotiate? I don't think so. Uh, and then the other really, really, really big thing is I don't think he actually believes in the policies that he's pushing for, I think he is, he is like, now look, I don't, I don't want to get into like assuming his intentions, but I, it really does seem like he doesn't care about the actual policies. It seems like he's going with whatever is popular. He's going with whatever the people around him are telling him to go with. And the reason I think that is because he has never really been out front on a policy that his party didn't agree with at the time. He's never been like going against his party or having some new idea that nobody ever thought of. <laughs> He's always kind of been just like right there with his party. Um, when the Democrats opposed mandatory busing to to segregate to desegregate schools, he opposed it. The Democrats also largely opposed civil rights. By the way, I don't know if you knew that, but um, you know all these things along the way. He was kind of in step with the Democratic Party. And if you look at the Democratic Party from when he started to now, it's a much different party now than it was then. And the fact that he is still in step with the current party, for the most part, kind of says that he just goes with the wind, he goes where the party takes him, and he, like, his it, it makes it seem like his only concern is staying in office rather than having good ideas or pushing for things that really matter seems like he just kind of goes with the party so that he can stay in power and that's a really really 
concerning trait. I don't think that's a good trait for someone who's supposed to be in a leader leader position of the president. Um, so that's a huge reason why I can't vote for him. If you look at Trump, on the other hand, he, uh, for a long time, had no problem with uh, gay people at the Republican National Convention when he was first nominated in 2016. He um, spoke very plainly that he wanted to fight for gay rights and all that, and he got a standing ovation when he brought that up. However, you know, just a few years before that, even the Democratic Party wasn't about that, and the Republican Party was still kind of holding on to that fight against um, gay, like gay marriage rights and stuff like that. So um, there's other issues as well. Trump goes against his party kind of frequently, and when there is people in his party who don't agree with him, he calls them out, he trashes them, probably way too harshly, but he's willing to go against his own party, which I appreciate a lot. Um, so that's good, and that shows me that he, the things he's fighting for he actually cares about, and they're not just things that he thinks is going to get him reelected. So that strikes me as someone who's actually kind of principled. It might be kind of weird to think of Donald Trump as a principled person who has well-thought-out ideas. <laughs> I know that's a hard uh, a hard pitch to sell there, but he's at least his ideas don't always line up with Republican ideas, and that should be a good thing that you're not just a a partisan politician trying to hold on to power. Um, the another thing and probably the final thing that really really bothers me about Biden is the radical people around him. Like I said, he's not really all there. He doesn't have his own ideas that he's pushing for. He's being steered by these radical people around him, and they're the ones that really scare me. If you watch Kamala Harris versus uh, Vice President Pence, she was very creepy, in my opinion. She kind of was just straight up lying and then just smiling about it. For example, when she, when they were talking about Biden repealing Trump's tax cuts and Pence saying, well, then that means you're going to raise taxes. And she said, no. <laughs> and she kept holding onto that line that, no, we're not going to raise taxes on anybody lower than $400,000 a year. Uh, but repealing a tax cut does raise taxes. I don't know. You know, so just the fact that she, she was like so fake that she had to lie about that over and over again, even, even though it kept making her look really kind of dumb, that was really gross to me. I don't know. Um, so the fact that she would basically be in charge is very concerning and that really scares me. You also have, like I said, AOC in charge of his climate change policies. That's very scary. And, uh, yeah, just all these radicals around him that are kind of steering him. Bernie Sanders is another example. They wrote a quote unquote manifesto together and, um, that has a lot of ridiculous stuff in it. Bernie Sanders said Biden would be the most progressive president since FDR. FDR was like, he founded progressivism, basically. So that's very, very concerning to hear. Um, and then also, Biden not being willing to say whether or not he will pack the Supreme Court is terrifying to me. And either it's because th there's only one or one of two reasons that it can be, in my opinion. One reason is that 
He doesn't want to pack the Supreme Court, but he doesn't want to scare off his radical base who do want the Supreme Court to be packed. Or another reason could be that he does want to pack the Supreme Court and he doesn't want to scare off the majority of Americans who do not want that to happen. And either one of those is not good. If you're not willing to to say your true opinion because you're scared of scaring away your most radical base, then you're not going to be pushing against that radical base when push comes to shove. You know what I'm saying? You're not going to be... Um, you're not going to be strong against those things, which means you're probably going to cave to them a lot. And that's very concerning too. And on the other hand, if you do want to pack the Supreme Court, then you are literally, literally ruining a branch of government, which is terrifying. And, um, and just his attitude towards it, that people who want to know whether he will pack the Supreme Court are just Republicans trying to play a game and they don't deserve to know. The voters don't deserve to know. In his own words, he said that they don't deserve to know until after he's elected. It's, it's terrifying. It's like, vote for me now. And then when I'm elected, I'll let you know what I'm going to do because now you have no say in what I do. Um, that's terrifying. And his attitude about it, that, you know, what makes you think you have the right to know my policy positions, uh, it's so gross and like power hungry it sounds it seems to me that it's kind of scary um yeah i think that's all i had to say i guess also along that same line is his entitlement to to voters certain voters for example the the you ain't black line that's like another thing to me that's very scary and ugly and he just has this it's kind of the same as Hillary, where she had the sense of entitlement that, well, of course you're going to vote for me. Why do I need to explain myself? Why do I need to campaign very hard? Why do I need to, um, why do I need to make you feel confident in me? You're just going to vote for me because I'm a Democrat and you vote Democrat. And that's seems like the same line that Biden is going along with. Um, but yeah, those are all the reasons that I cannot and will not vote for Biden and that I will probably be voting for Trump or I will definitely be voting for Trump. And uh, that's all I really have to say. It's not looking very good for Trump, but there's all these, there's all these questions about whether the polls are um, legitimate or if they have some other issues, but we will see. It's really hard to tell. Um, Anyways, on that note, I hope you guys got a lot of information out of this podcast. I hope you felt that it wasn't like, you know, getting into the petty nonsense that politics usually gets into. I try to stick to policy and principles and philosophy. So hopefully I did that. Um, feel free to email me at lossincast at gmail.com. You can give me there any counter arguments you have, any uh Anything I got wrong in this episode, I probably got some stuff wrong, you know, just going to be honest. So you can let me know there if anything, if I got anything wrong. Other than that, uh, also, if you would like to come on the show and you think you have something interesting to talk about, you don't have to be an expert. You don't have to, you know, know a whole lot about anything. If you, if there's something you're just interested in and you want to come on and talk about it, and I think it would be an interesting thing to talk about, then we can do that. I think that'd be a lot of fun. Um, 
so yeah, any of that, just email me at lawsoncast at gmail.com. I'm also working on getting a Facebook group up because it'd be interesting to have all you guys in a Facebook group and we can all just hang out there and talk. Um, so I'll keep you updated on that. And that's all I have to say. Thanks for listening, guys. Hope you have a great rest of your day. God bless. Thank you.